I'm glad you're here, and I'm, I'm really uh, super excited to be a part of this this morning. I've heard about Connect from a distance. Um, I've uh, been a huge fan of Dave, and I'll tell you a little bit about that story. But I just wanted to say thank you for having me today, and thank you for what you're doing here in Washington. We start new churches for this reason. New churches help new people find their way to the Jesus mission. So here's what we know. When people find Jesus and they submit their lives to Jesus, everything changes. And that's what I'm in the business of, helping people experience a transformational relationship with Jesus. So here's a little bit about me so you know that Dave didn't leave you in the hands of some wild, crazy, bald man, okay? Um, I did not grow up in a church. In fact, I was quite far from God for a very long time. And that all changed about 10 years ago. I found my way back to God at a new thing church in Naperville. And that was really the start of my spiritual journey. Because it was the start of a journey towards finding Jesus and and the mission of my life. And that's the trajectory I took. I stepped away from business and I started to follow Jesus. And that led to church planting. And now I have the privilege and an honor to lead this organization called New Thing. And we have about 140 locations across the world. We're on four continents right now, and we're growing all the time. Now, I met Dave Jane about, I don't know, it was probably about four years ago through a mutual friend of ours in Kansas City. Uh, Like many of you, I just, I love Dave's accent, man. I could just listen to him read the phone book. Who's with you on that, right? I mean, it's just, it's, uh, I know, right? (laughs) He doesn't even have to try. So um, I I grew to love Dave, and I grew to love his vision for Washington. And I, I watched him take those first trepidational steps towards church planning. Can I do this? Is God really involved in this? And obviously, uh, he was following Jesus' lead. I helped plant this church in a lot of ways. And I'm going to take a little credit for myself because Dave and I would meet in that office in Kansas City and we'd, we'd kind of just walk through a little bit about what this could look like. And so it's just a wild opportunity for me to see all of this. I can tell you that um, every time I have a conversation with Dave, I, leave, I just leave inspired and encouraged. Um, and and, and I, know, I know this, and I, I want you to know this from my heart. Dave loves Jesus. Dave loves Jesus, and he loves all of you because every time I talk to him, he's talking about this person or that person or this family or that family. And I know he loves this community, and I know he has a big God-sized dream. And it's evident to me that you're all beginning to join him in that. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of what you're up to today because you're part of something bigger. You're part of something bigger called the Jesus mission, the Jesus movement. I don't want you to lose sight of that. Yeah, God's called you to Washington. But the body of Christ is big and bold and spreads across this world. And you are part of it. I'm just excited for you guys. And I cannot wait to see what God does through you and in you. So Dave said, um, you're in this series called Red Letter Days. And you're talking about forgiveness today. And that's where I, I want to start. I want to talk about forgiveness now, it's always challenging for me to talk about forgiveness. I mean, I'd, I like to think of myself as a forgiving person. If you marked me in the hallway and you said, hey, Patrick, are, are, you, are you a forgiving kind of guy? I'd say, yeah, eh, maybe not, maybe not, right? I mean, not, not quite because I know forgiveness is hard. It's really hard. 
what about you? When you think of the word forgiveness, do you think of yourself as a forgiving person? Does forgiveness come easy for you? Here's where I want to start today. Can we just all admit that forgiveness is hard? It's challenging. It's not easy. But here's why forgiveness is important. Because forgiveness can have major impact in the world, way beyond what we can imagine. So it's absolutely worth talking about. Um, I have the opportunity to talk to a lot of New Thing churches across the world. And last month, I was speaking to our New Thing church in South Africa. It's about a, about a year old or so, and they're planting a church for the people of South Africa. We got to talking about how it's all going and what are the challenges and what are the wins and where they see God working and where they're kind of running into trouble. And then we got to talking about the legacy of Mandela, of Nelson Mandela, because you can't talk about South Africa very long without talking about the legacy of Nelson Mandela. So we got to know this. Mandela spent years in prison because of his views about apartheid. And according to one story that I heard, the guards one day ordered him to dig a trench. And they said, just, Nelson, just keep digging. Just keep digging the trench. And he got to about six feet down, and the more he realized it, it kind of looked like a grave. And the guards were always doing this with the prisoners in that prison. And they said, Nelson, get in the, get in the grave. Get in the trench. And Nelson, of course, didn't know what to expect. And it was there in that moment that a couple of the guards urinated on him. Yes, right there for everyone to see. The guards were always torturing the prisoners in that way. They're always messing with the prisoners psychologically. Well, Mandela spent years in that prison. And then years later, he becomes president of South Africa. And according to one story, all the dignitaries, all the world leaders were going to be invited to his inaugural dinners as president of South Africa, the first black man ever elected as president of South Africa. And the sole person that Nelson Mandela insisted be on the invite list was one of the guards from that prison. See, Mandela had somehow learned to forgive. When Mandela became president of South Africa, it was very uncertain what would happen. Historians would tell us they thought South Africa would descend into a vicious race war and be torn apart. But it didn't happen. It didn't happen. And Mandela was instrumental as what they call the reconciliation community. And historians claim that that saved South Africa. Uh, according to my friend Casey in South Africa, things are far from perfect. There are a lot of challenges that modern South Africa is facing. But they have a chance. They have a chance because one man learned what it looked like to forgive those guards for all the despicable acts they had done to him and give his nation a chance. I say Nelson Mandela is a story to the power of forgiveness. Now, I know you're, you're in this series called Red Letter Days. It's a reference to the church calendar of medieval times when they would designate some days like holy days, saints days, and Christmas days, and certain, certainly Easter as a red letter day, a special day in the calendar. And, and, and there would be all kinds of these dates like, like Easter and Christmas, but the most important was certainly Easter. See, before Jesus was resurrected, he was nailed to a cross and died. In the hours between his arrest and crucifixion, Jesus had been beaten. Jesus 
had been humiliated. Jesus had been spit on. Jesus had been beaten and flogged. Like any prisoner in Jerusalem in those days, because this was a daily kind of thing, historians tell us, Jesus was marched up to that hill called the skull, and he had to carry his own cross. And one of the gospel writers record that for us. Luke says that they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. That's simple and that's straightforward. Well, it was then... Jesus is hanging on the cross, unable to breathe, because that's what, it, what scholars will say is really what kills people on, who are crucified, is you can't breathe. Your, your diaphragm can't expand and contract, so you literally suffocate to death. So he's bleeding. I imagine he's in a little pain, don't you? And it's there that he looks down on these Roman soldiers, those same soldiers who had just beaten him and humiliated him. It's there that he looks down on the scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day. Those those same ones that were full of hate and jealousy. And he says this, Father, forgive them. for They they know not what they're doing. Let's pause there for a second. (laughs) Is it just me? Uh, I mean, I'm not going to say those words, are you? I'm not going to say those words after what just happened to Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm saying, Father, kill them. Father, revenge me, Father. Father, get after them and get me off this cross. Father, take them out. That's what I would be saying. But no, Jesus says, forgive. Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Those same people that had just nailed him with iron nails to wood. He asks, Father, forgive them. So what's going on here? What's this all about anyway? Well, first we need to realize that these were more than just nice words, okay? These were more than just Jesus being Jesus. You know, Jesus carrying the little lamb around all the time, right? You see those pictures, the smiling Jesus. We kind of expect Jesus to be a nice guy. We expect Jesus to be forgiving. But this is more than that. Because 700 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah wrote that the Messiah, the long-promised Messiah, which we believe is Jesus would bear the sins of his people. And this is where we start with forgiveness. Isaiah writes this, He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. See, he bore the sin of many. That's Jesus. And he made intercession for the transgressors. Now, a transgressor is one who oversteps his or her bounds or exceeds the, the boundaries set up. We need to realize that the, the fundamental claim of Christianity is that Jesus died, or as theologians will say, atoned in some way for our sins. I mean, even my non-Christian friends know that about Christianity, right? They just don't believe it. So we, we start off with this notion that Jesus died for our sins. But look at the second line of Isaiah. We overlook this line quite a bit. According to Isaiah, the Messiah would intercede on behalf of the people and God. God, the people, Messiah, intercession between. Intercession is prayer. These words were a prayer. Jesus was praying on the cross. Now, we all get praying. In fact, many of you pray for family and friends and for things in this community. You're always praying for others, I suspect. But here's what we got to understand. Jesus 
He's praying for us, me, and you. These words of Jesus on the cross, they're, they're more than just a prayer, though. They're more than just the fulfillment of some prophecy. They're changing everything when it comes to forgiveness. You see, Jesus changed the paradigm of forgiveness forever. Before Jesus, it was customary, it was lawful to expect revenge or retribution when you were wronged. That was customary and lawful according to Jewish law. And what was true then is certainly true now, is it not? I mean, that's what we feel like or what we expect when we're wronged, right? When we're wronged, we want justice. We want, we want to get back at the person who hurts us. We, we get mad and we want them to pay. We want to get even. We expect retribution. We want them to know what they've done to us and how much it's hurt and how much pain we're in. Can we be honest about that? Can we all at least admit that in some seasons of our lives we've been there? This desire for justice, this desire for getting back, this desire for revenge. We all experience it. I certainly have. So maybe we can start to see why Jesus would be praying for us. See, Jesus, he takes forgiveness to a whole new level. It's not an eye for an eye anymore. It's not a tooth for a tooth anymore. He, he seems to be indicating that it's now your obligation to forgive others. And here's the rub. Because God forgave you. God forgave you. The paradigm is shifting. You see, forgiveness can fall into two categories. It's something we receive. We receive forgiveness, but it's also something we give. I, I suspect we all get it. We've all experienced being forgiven. Just give me a nod if you've kind of experienced being forgiven something that you've done. Yeah, a fair number of us. And we all have somebody that we need to forgive. Who is it? Who is it for you today? Maybe you're holding a grudge. Maybe, maybe it's with your spouse. You've had an argument and you really haven't put it to bed. Or, or you've argued with a coworker and, and you're still harboring resentment and ill will. And, and you just won't let it go. Or maybe someone needs to forgive you. We made a mistake. They've hurt us bad. We were selfish and reckless and we didn't bother to see it from their point of view. And we really hurt someone and they haven't talked to us since. So who is it that needs to forgive you today? Here's the deal. Hope we can be honest about it. Every single one of us at some level receives God's forgiveness. Even people far from God are kind of, kind of in this envelopment of grace that we believe God is extraordinarily at work in the world, even if we don't acknowledge him. God can forgive anybody he wants. We leave that to him. But only we can forgive others. Only we can forgive the person who has wronged us. We let God deal with the judgment. We let God deal with the justice of it. We are called to forgive. At least that's what Jesus seems to be saying. And we can't make anyone forgive us. We, we can ask for forgiveness, but we don't get to control their response. All we can do is ask for it. So what does forgiveness actually look like? How, how do we even go about starting to forgive or asking for forgiveness? Well, I'm 
glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. Because Jesus had said this in Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, he tells a story about a servant and his master. And the master forgives the servant. Now, we've got to understand this about Jesus. He didn't just go around telling stories to kind of shoot the breeze. Like, like your office coworker who comes in on Monday and tells you about their weekend and your eyes are glazed over. You're like, dude, I don't care, right? Jesus is always telling stories to a particular context. So we have to pay attention to that. This is a parable that he tells in Matthew 18. A parable is designed to teach something. It's a story with a point. And in this case, Peter... We've all heard of Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers, one of the first to say, yeah, you are the Messiah. Peter comes to him with this. He says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Is Is it up to seven times? Well, Jesus says, I tell you, not seven times, Peter. Not seven times, but 77 times. Now, it's a big deal, right? I can just imagine Peter, just, he, he, just something had happened to him, right? He had an argument with a fisherman at the wharf, right? And, and, and he's kind of going through all this, and he's, he's, he's focused on seven. Man, I'm a really good guy if I can forgive somebody seven times. And he's kind of, 77 times? What do you mean 77 times, Lord? How do we do that? And he's kind of messing with the number in his head, and Jesus tells him the story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that they had be sold to repay the debt. First, notice that Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven here. He says what in that first verse? The kingdom of heaven is like a king who has a servant who owes him a significant debt. Jesus isn't talking about money management principles here or how to conduct our financial affairs. He's talking about the kingdom of God. The servant, he owes his master a significant sum. Now, who's with me that 10,000 bags sounds like a lot of money, right? Probably millions in today's, in today's exchange rates. This is a significant debt. We can't overlook that point of the story. And the servant, he can't pay. And so his master orders the servant and his family and his wife, you are sold because I'm going to get at least some of that money back. That's this. The servant, he falls to his knees and he says, Master, be patient with me, he begged. And I'll pay back everything, master. Well, the servant's master took pity on him. He canceled the debt. And he let him go. Sounds like a great story, doesn't it? The, the master actually turns out to be a good guy. He gets forgiveness now. And he lets the servant off the hook. All's well. Here's the first thing I want to point out. The debtor can't always repay you. Have you thought about that? The person who owes you can't always repay you. The servant couldn't possibly pay back the master. 10,000 bags of gold. It's a lot. See, we need to consider that, that the debtor can't always repay you. Now, maybe the debtor in your life is someone you've shared something in confidence and they've just blurted it out to the world. Maybe you told them something and, and now they threw it out there on Facebook, right? And it's done. It's said. Nobody can take back the words. The debtor can't repay. 
Or maybe you've had an argument with your spouse and you've said something and they've said something terrible to you and you've said something terrible to them and then you said something more terrible to you than they, and, again, ah! and now you're lost. And that person has said something so reprehensible, this person that you love and do life with, and they've said some nasty words, they can't take it back. Sometimes the debtor can't repay you. That's where forgiveness starts. So if they're, the debtor can't repay us, what are our options? Mercy. Mercy. Absolutely mercy. See, when the debtor can't repay us, we have the option to show mercy. If the person who offended you can't pay you back, then what are you going to do? Not much. Not much. But one opportunity for you is to show mercy. Are you willing to show mercy? The story continues. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled that debt and let him go. The servant has been forgiven this debt. Can you imagine not having a mortgage? Can you imagine not having a car payment or school loans or any other financial pressures that you're under? Everything paid off, everything free and clear. You're good to go. You're free. No debt, no worries. I'm in the fast lane now. And Jen, just after the servant, is no doubt running around, singing and dancing and rejoicing. I'm free. I'm free. He runs into his own servant. That servant owes him a thousand bucks. Guess what happens? (laughs) The forgiven servant, he grabs his servant by the neck and says, pay me, man. You owe me that money. You better pay me. And the guy couldn't pay. And so he had him thrown in prison. Does Dave ever use the term twit, the British term twit, you know, like idiot, right? That's that's what this guy seems to me like, a twit. So the master hears about this, right? The same master who forgave the first servant, that tremendous, tremendous debt, and he calls his servant back. You wicked servant. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Remember, this is Jesus telling this story. Who believes, just for a minute, who believes, just give me a nod, that the servant kind of got what was coming to him? Just give me a nod. Like, yeah, yeah, I mean, obviously, right? But here's what I've been wrestling with as I've been writing this message. How close are our own stories to that of the wicked servant? Remember, remember, this is a parable. Jesus is telling it in a specific context for a specific person. He is instructing Peter, and he's instructing us for all time. The servant elected not to show mercy. Jesus is telling this story, and he says, if you treat each other this way, don't expect forgiveness from my father. There are no degrees of forgiveness here, according to Jesus. Because God forgave us, we must forgive each other. Notice in The last verse, the guy gets tossed into jail because of this debt. Not forgiving and not showing mercy is like being in prison. 
See, it's a prison when you can't forgive the other person. Think about that a minute. Let me ask you a question. What's it like when you're harboring resentment against another person? What's it like for you when somebody has offended you in such a way? You never think about it, right? It's just easy, easy going, isn't it? It's just easy to file it away and forget about it. No. You're stressed. You're angry. You're bitter. You're thinking wicked thoughts. You're conniving. Isn't being, having the opportunity to forgive and not doing it like being in prison? See, before Jesus ever gets to the cross, he wanted us to know that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, forgiveness and mercy reign. Those are the most important qualities. So let me come back to that person, that person for you. Who is it? Who is it that has offended you? Who is it that has wronged you? Who is it that owes you? Go ahead, bring them to mind. Let that image of that person enter into your mind and your thoughts. How do you feel right now? Have you ever considered that by not forgiving that person, you're keeping yourself in prison? I mean, we always think forgiveness is going to benefit the other person. Like, we're going to give it to the person, right? I'm going I'm to forgive you because I'm such a good person. We always think that, don't we? But what we've got to understand today is that forgiveness benefits you and I. It lets you and I out of the prison. It lets you and I escape and be free. Look, I get it. I understand it as we talk about this. There's, there's some major, major offenses out there. I mean, huge. I know that some of you are thinking, Patrick, dude, you have no idea what I've been through. You have no idea what that person has done to me. How dare you? I get it. Others are, are thinking, Patrick, you don't know, man. There was this drunk driver, and it, it, you don't know how that's affected my family. How dare you expect me to forgive that person? You're right. I don't, I don't know what you've faced. I don't know the hurts and the pains. I don't. And I'm not saying they're easy. I'm not. I'm not trying to make light of them. I'm not asking you to get past them. I'm just trying to tell you what Jesus is teaching us. With a group this size, there's got to be at least one or two people in this room who is saying, Patrick, I will never, ever forgive that person. Never. So what do we do? What do we do with that? What do we do when the offense is so great that the other person can't, we can't even picture what it's like to, for them to pay us back, that they, they, can't even, they can't even begin to pay us back? Where do we go with it? How do we handle it? What do we do with it? It's mercy. It's mercy. It's mercy in the kingdom of God. I know it's hard. The pain can be excruciating. I get it. I've been there. I'm not going to tell you that this is three easy steps and you're, you're out the door and you forgive the other person. But, but here's what I want you to hear. I am telling you that there's a gospel. I'm telling you that that gospel is full of good news. I'm telling you that it is way beyond you just getting a get-out-of-hell-free card and on your way to heaven. I'm telling you that gospel has every influence and opportunity to inform your life, not only with God, but with how you leave, live with others. And that is why we are talking about forgiveness. I'm telling you that it starts with Jesus interceding with, on our behalf on the cross to make it right between me and God. 
to make it right between you and God. And I'm arguing that that means something. That's got to have some influence in the way that we live life. If not, what's the point? Father, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They, they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. Or maybe the way I say it, Father, help me, help me to see your kingdom in my life, help me to see your kingdom of mercy and forgiveness, Father, because it's so hard to see it. Here's what we Christ followers believe about Jesus and the cross. That as he hung there, and however mysterious it is, that he somehow took the sins of the world upon him. That he took all the wrongs and wrongdoing and hurts and all the things that have ever happened to you, and he, he took that on himself. And he, he did the same for all the people that you've done that to. And he took that all on himself. He took on every pain and sin imaginable of man. He hung there and he carried hate and intolerance and adultery and affairs and lying and cheating and swindling and conniving. He took it all. He took it all because he loves you. He took it all because he loves me. See, the cross, it gives us a glimpse of God's love. When we focus and meditate on the cross, we see God's love. And here's what we have to understand. God's love is greater than any offense. I'm going to say it again. God's love is greater than any offense. Our task is to believe it. Our task is to lean into that and live it out. To keep our eyes focused on Jesus and not the hurt and not the pain or what people owe us. But to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, including his life and his death and his resurrection. And that's what a red letter day is. Because the day of his resurrection changed everything. See, our task is to trust God and in their trust, forgiveness and mercy. Our primary postures towards each other in this life. Because Jesus said this in Matthew 6. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't, if you don't forgive others their sins, your Father, he's not going to forgive yours. It's a choice. Forgiveness is a choice. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and suddenly feel like forgiving the other person. Or you're going to get over it or you're going to get past it. Or after some time, maybe, if they're really good and they do a X, Y, and Z for you, you'll forgive them. Forgiveness is a choice. And so here's my challenge for you today. I want us as a community of Christ followers, as Connect Church, as part of a larger organization, as part of Christ's body in the world today. I want us to take individual steps towards forgiveness because it all goes back to Jesus on the cross in those words. He prayed that prayer and it was a first step and we all need to take that first step towards forgiving that person. And Jesus is very clear about it. It begins with prayer. Can you pray for the person that you need to forgive? Could you maybe get your head around that? See, by taking this first step in prayer, you invite Jesus into the situation. And here's what we got to get. Jesus, he could do more 
than what you or you or me can. See, when you invite Jesus into the situation, when you begin to pray, God, he rushes into your life and it starts to change your heart. And there's where forgiveness starts, a change of heart. You can forgive then and you can let go and you can be free of that prison. And God does something that we can't. And as we make that step towards forgiveness through prayer, God changes people's lives. I firmly believe that. I hope you do too. I've seen it. I plant churches so that happens. God can change not only our lives, but the lives of the people around us. He does that through his love and grace and mercy for each of us. See, we Christians, we confess that Jesus was killed and dead and buried. And then he rose. We believe that. Do you believe it? Easter's coming. It's the most important holiday in the Christian calendar. Has been for centuries. It's not important because we make it that way. It is the day. Because if Jesus stays dead, I've wasted your time. You're wasting your time here. Don't plant any churches. But if Jesus, if he's resurrected, that means it's something special. That means that the kingdom of God has broken into the world. That's what I believe. That's what theologians believe. See, here's what we've got to get. Jesus' death and resurrection inaugurated the kingdom of God into the world. There is a different way. And this inbreaking of the kingdom of God means that things can be different. Things can be forever different. And one of those points where we really get to see as Christians where that difference is, is in this area of forgiveness. Because it's hard. It's really hard. The world is going to ask you, invite you, tempt you to be in your brokenness and in your hate and in your hurt and be unforgiving. Jesus, Jesus, he ushers in the kingdom of God. He ushers in a different way. He ushers in a different power, a different opportunity for us. See, when you and I forgive the people in our lives for their transgressions, God can do something into our life. As long as we hold on to our unforgiving heart, it makes it really hard for God to do anything. And when you forgive other people, you, you actually bring the kingdom of God into your life and into the world. You inaugurate the kingdom of God into the world around you. See, forgiveness and mercy, it, it can change the world because Jesus made it possible. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for my friends. I thank you for this church. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for what you're doing in the lives of these people and in this community. And God, I know that uh, even the challenges that this community has had to endure over the last months, I'm just, uh, I'm just really, really excited about this uh, opportunity they have to, to almost rebuild it in a way. And that this church, this Connect Church, is a part of that new Washington, Father. Um, Father, and I, I pray that as these wonderful men and women move out on mission for you into their homes, into their neighborhoods, into their cul-de-sacs, to their farms, to their cities. 
Father, that they bring with them kingdom. That the kingdom is visible to all around them. And Father, one of the ways that the kingdom is visible is that when your people learn to forgive, when your people choose to forgive, God, I pray that we could be a kingdom people, that our love for you, our forgiveness and mercy towards each other literally shines out from us, God. And that it, 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 it resonates into the world around us, Father, into this community and the surrounding counties and this state and this nation. Father, that forgiveness would be something, something that people would think when they see somebody from Connect Church. That they would automatically assume those are God's people. There's something powerful and miraculous going on there. God, you ask us each to be a part of the Jesus mission. You ask us to be missionaries to our homes, to our neighborhoods. God, you give us the choice to forgive one another. God, help us to forgive. Help us to ask for forgiveness and help us to give it. Father, we cannot do it on our own. Jesus makes that possible. God, I pray that my brothers and sisters would hear that most assuredly this morning, that there is power in the resurrection, that there is power here available to us that we can do this father that so much is at stake father i am so grateful for this church i am so grateful for the opportunity to be with these wonderful men and women today god would you bless them would you bless their mission and their work and their lives and god help them do a bold and awesome work for the kingdom the kingdom that jesus brought in god we're grateful thank you in jesus name Amen.